0: Welcome back to Beat Seeker. I'm your host Matt McButter. In each episode we explore the shifting world of music with world-renowned experts and artists to take you deep, deep inside the fascinating and changing world of music technology and music discovery
1: and I'm your host, Mike Weider, reminding you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like the episode. You can visit our website at beatseeker.fm where you'll find plenty of rabbit holes with extra content to dive into, guest backgrounds, and even a playlist with music recommendations from each of our guest episodes. Also, BeatSeeker Swag. You can stay current and talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BeatSeekerPod.
0: In this episode, we look at the disappearance of record shops in the UK in the late 2000s, followed by a sharp resurgence that continues into the 2020s. While it seemed record shops were going the way of the 8-track and the cassette, the industry did a complete 180 and did the unthinkable, and boutique record stores started popping up again all over the UK.
1: To take us through the downs and ups, Pip Piper and Graham Jones join us from Dollish, England. During his career as a sales rep, Graham visited more record shops than any other human. His 2008 book, Last Shop Standing, documents the decline of the record shop, while his 2018 book, The Vinyl of Arrival, documents the subsequent rise from the ashes. Both books were made into films by collaborator Pip Piper.
0: Pip and Graham, welcome to Beat Seeker. Thanks for having us. Wow. Great to be here. Graham, in 2008, you toured the UK and interviewed some... I think, 50 record shop owners about their lives in music. And those interviews became the basis of your first book, Last Shop Standing. Can you take us back to 2008 and why you decided to write the book? Well, I've been been visiting
2: record shops as a sales rep for over 20 years. And suddenly I noticed they were vanishing and nobody was talking about it. People were talking about, you know, bars were closing and pubs were closing so maybe I thought that people cared more about uh, beer and alcohol than they did about music. (laughs) And um, I got talking to an elderly auntie of mine, and she said, how's things in the music industry? And I said, they're terrible, auntie. I said, record shops are closing down every week. I'm losing so many customers. And she said to me, are they going the way of the candlestick makers? And I wasn't quite sure what she meant, but then she explained that when she was a little girl, every high street would have a stamp shop, a coin shop, and a candlestick makers. And it got me thinking that, you know, you never go out for a drink and talk about whatever happens to the candlestick makers. So I genuinely thought at that point that record shops were going to vanish. Uh, I mean, we'd lost 540 in the UK in just four years. That was independent record shops, mm. as well as lots of chains. So I thought it would be a good idea to document the tales of record shops before they all closed, sort of like um, gathering history, really. But what turned out to be a project of sort of explaining why we lost all these record shops, um, what I soon realised by interviewing these people was that they all had fantastically funny stories about their life in music and their dealings with the public. So the book, in the end, became a sort of celebration of record shops uh, instead of an obituary to them.
0: Hmm. As someone who, you know, spends a lot of time in record shops and and loves to spend time in record shops, uh, I I absolutely love the idea. And so, Pip, in uh, I think it was 2012, you approached Graham about making a movie out of the book. Can you tell us how you two connected? Yeah,
3: so um, my business partner, Rob, who is is kind of more connected into the music industry, um, had picked up. Graham's book and been reading He came to me one day we kind of have different kind of meetings you know, development meetings about different projects and stuff that we want to do and he said oh, I've come across this book and I, I think it's just really worth a read I think there could be a story here so I started to kind of look through the book I said this this is just great this is you know it's just full exactly what Graham is saying it's just full of characters and stories and and history and you know I'm a real music lover as well I was like shocked really shocked by just how it was disappearing. I mean, at, at that time, I have to own up and admit, you know, I wasn't really using vinyl. I was one of those guys that, had, you know, sold his record collection it was lost in the loft somewhere, mm. you know, and and was just using music and consuming it in a different way. But I thought this was fascinating. So we contacted Graham and uh, and sort of said, look, we'd love to meet up. We'd know about your book. We'd be interested in kind of making making a film. And uh, I, think, I think Graham got, rather excited that you know maybe hollywood was was knocking. <laughs> and uh, we met in a pub somewhere in the west country and uh it became apparent to graham that basically the option was going to be a ploughman's lunch and a pint of beer you know we're kind of a small independent film company passionate about making a film but it was a it was just a real coming together actually we got on so
0: well and uh, just so wanted to do the project cool so this film used a really innovative funding strategy. Could you explain that for our listeners? Well, yeah, very, very quickly. I mean, the, the interesting bit of backstory off this: uh, I, I'd
3: not long completed my first feature film, a drama feature film in New Zealand, which had been a very, very long uh, roller coaster ride of trying to raise money and get a get a film off the ground, get it into cinemas, get it, you know, distributed around the world. And like a lot of independent filmmakers, I really, you know, I'd realized that you put in massive amount of work in to basically feed everybody else that's in the pond—the distributors, the sales agents, the cinemas, you know, the all of those people—and and and you really come off, apart from being the person or one of the people in, you know, that's helped to to craft and make this thing, it it really is uh, a hard game to play. And so, I was already looking for ideas to get into sort of documentary which i felt was having a real sort of revival at the time and i was looking around at how could we kind of keep more kind of financial and creative control of our projects and i i obviously had been following um crowdfunding and i got involved with indiegogo i was actually a global ambassador for a while and so i thought crowdfunding could be a really great way you know here's a project exactly what graham was talking about earlier you know Here's a story of things that are being lost, but they it's so knitted into so many people's fabrics of their childhoods and their teenage years. Could there be an audience out there that would want to support a film like this? Could we go to the fans and do it that way rather than going that you know kind of total way, yeah. kind of commercial mm, yeah. route? And cra- so, crowdfunding and sponsorship actually um, were the two kind of prime avenues that we used to raise the money to make this uh, this small independent documentary.
0: Amazing. And you interviewed record store owners, but also some very high-profile artists: Johnny Marr, Billy Bragg, Paul Weller, uh, Norman Cook, aka Fatboy Slim, just to name a few. How did you get all these awesome names to participate in the film? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is that this was a was a genuine
3: collaboration between Graham and ourselves. You know, we we were leaning very heavily on Graham's knowledge, his expertise. Um, but also his contacts. And to be truthful, everybody every that we got who was like a well-known, famous celebrity, music celebrity, came via the shops. It came via relationships, mm. which which was then, you know, through Graham, really Graham's relationship with these shops and their belief that it would be great to see a film like this made started then talk about, oh, you know, Paul Weller pops in the shop every now and again or so-and-so. And they became the conduits to help us reach out. So we didn't have to do any of that stuff of going through agents and endless meetings or this and that and whatever. These were people that were equally really passionate about the story. And so really, the, 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 it's the it's the records record shop owners, really, that were the conduits to getting those amazing people in the film.
0: And Graham, in the book and also in the subsequent movie, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, um, you captured some... Pretty amazing, interesting, funny stories from within the record stores. Could you share a couple?
2: Well, sure, Matt. I mean, um, there's, there's something in the music industry we call Have You Got? And this is where a customer will come into a record shop and say, have you got this? Now, okay. some of my favorites are the person who came in and said, have you got that record by the man who hurdled through the grapevine? So who knew that Marvin Gaye was an athlete? Or have you got that record by the man who's sitting on the back of a duck? Who knew Otis Redding had so much talent? And often you'll get things like where people bring a piece of paper in. And I like the story where a lady came in and said, my son's asked me to get the new album by Actic. And the shop said, Actic. She said, yes, it's Actic. And they said, can we have a look at the, your piece of paper, please, madam? So she handed the piece of paper, which the son had written the album on, and they said, I think you'll find it's pronounced A-C-D-C. <laughs> <laughs> then, but I suppose, lastly, there's, there's <laughs> the people who come in and uh, sing songs. You know, they expect – I also think people who work in record shops would make great detectives, you know, mm-hmm. because they have to work out what the hell the customers are asking for. But I quite like this one where a person came in and said – have you got the r song? And the shop said, the r song? He said, yeah, you must know the R-Soul song. It's dead famous. The shop said, no, we, we, we don't know that, I'm afraid. He said, do you want me to sing a little bit? And he said, yeah, if you sing it, we might recognise it. He said, you must know it. It's the one that goes... I'm also man. Da, 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 da. I'm also man. This job said, "Yep, yeah, it's Sam and Dave, and it's I'm a soul man." <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just a few. I mean, the books I've done are, are full of you know, hundreds of that sort uh, of yeah, comic tale, and a lot, a lot more you know, longer anecdotes as well.
1: Oh my God, that's great! Um, so, uh, so fast forward to 2018. Uh, the world looks very different now. Vinyl is in the middle of this historic comeback, and you decide to write a sequel book called "The Vinyl Revival." Um, you know when it become clear to you that this wasn't a temporary blip, but a real a real trend that had legs.
2: Well, the the last chapter of Last Shop Standing was called Hope, and I I wrote about that. I felt that if the music industry could support independent record shops with vinyl, because it was independent record shops who saved vinyl. I mean, they were the ones who kept you know vinyl going, and in a way, vinyl saved them. But I felt there was hope there if the industry could get behind a sort of vinyl revival and i think it coincided with record store day starting which which in a way was the the catalyst for the vinyl revival and um i kept updating last shop standing i actually did six reprints and six updates but i was coming to a point where the story had changed so much that i just couldn't keep updating it again and i also had noticed that you know i truly believe that it was thanks to independent record shops that you know vinyl has come through again as a successful format but everybody else was cashing in on the success and they weren't earning the money and getting the recognition for for the job they did in saving a format that we all love
1: Yeah. So, so Pip, and what about you, uh, what was different about making the, the second film with, with Graham, I guess in the first one, it was this nostalgia for the past and maybe a feeling that these stores are going to go away and we need to capture this. And now, and now fast forward, we're in this sort of triumphant, uh, return, you know, what was, what was the feeling like of, of making the second, the second movie?
3: It was, Yeah, it was really good, actually. I mean, it was great that Graham had done the book and really shone a light again on some really important topics, both the fact that vinyl was genuinely having a revival. It wasn't just some kind of blip. It wasn't some weird thing that was happening. You know, there was crazy statistics coming out about how it was outselling downloads in the US and all kinds of things. You know, it's like this is... And it was just appearing anywhere. You know, it was kind of starting to get on that cultural zeitgeist map when we were doing Last Shop Standing, because there were those hopeful signs. You know, it's why the, the film is the of Last Shop Standing was kind of the the rise, the fall and the rebirth. We were beginning to see those signs, but weren't really too sure. But fast forward to the second book and then talking about doing the second movie, we knew that we were firmly in something. You know, record players and vinyl were appearing in adverts, in dramas, in feature films. In, it was just back. It was just back in a really big way. And we thought we needed to capture that because one, to celebrate it, but two, to also just throw some warning shots really across about the fact that w- what Graham was talking about, that the very people who had really saved the format were potentially going to become victims yet again of the big players in the industry, um, getting behind the format and kind of squeezing them out of the equation. And, um, and also sort of different different ways in which people were, were trying to monetize um, that side of things. And of course, the, it's not just about money. It's not just about the format. Record shops are their community hubs. They're spaces where people go to meet with one another. They go to learn about music, um, you know, and I think. That's why we're really intrigued. And we thought, right, we've just got to jump on this. We've got to do the second film as a kind of a, a follow-up and appendum, if you like, to, to yeah. up standing bringing everything up to date.
1: So we talked a little bit about the catalyst. And, and Pip, you mentioned the... Um, record store day I, I'm wondering you know if you could talk about like what what are the other drivers you think that are responsible for the, the this amazing comeback of, of vinyl what do you think the top reasons are for for this uh, turnaround
3: well I mean I, I've learned a lot of this stuff through Graham I have to say, say about that but obviously as a documentarian you learn very quickly about the subject matters you get involved in I, I think it yes, absolutely record store day has been a a massive impetus and actually you know last year upstanding way back in 2013 you know we're global global film for record store day and then we were we were record store day film again in 2019 and so they have a, a massive part to play in in kind of galvanizing the industry and people to this one amazing day which then kind of kind of kind of flowers out into, well, it's not just about one day, you know, it's, it, you, you've got to go to record shops as much and as often as you can. But I also think that there was something happening in society as a whole about the, sh- the, the way we consume. I think people were becoming much more aware that it is completely unsustainable to constantly grow into these kind of mega, mega shapes of consumerism. And actually we needed to get back to local, to independent stores, to people who are passionate about cheese, wine, food, tea, you know, records. You know, we we need these places. They're, they're just so, so, so much more vibrant and 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 uplifting to the way that you do life. So um, I think there was a lot of that stuff that was going on and continues to go on in society
1: at the moment. There was one, there was one quote I noticed. I I, I watched the movie last night and um there was one woman who you interviewed who said, uh, as it relates to streaming versus the LP, she said, they're just getting crumbs from streaming, but with the LP, they get the full meal. You know, What did you think? What do you think she meant by that? Well, that's your great friend, Graham, isn't it, um, Jen?
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Who's got a new book on Nico? I should give a, a little yeah. plug uh, coming up. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's one of those things that everybody will remember the first record they bought, but nobody remembers the first the first track they streamed. Um, Johnny Marr said something really interesting. He said that that listening to a record is an experience. He said when he goes to 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 bed of a a night and thinks about his day, he said. If he's listened to a record, he'll remember turning the record over, every track, the order it's played, and it's an enjoyable experience, like watching a film. Whereas when he streams something, he can remember certain tracks that he streamed, but he couldn't remember it as an experience. It's just you know little bits of memory. But listening to a vinyl record, you actually remember everything. I think when you look at your record collection, I mean, if I look at my record collection, I can remember every single record where I bought it or what I was doing at that stage of my life. My record collection, you know, is is, is a bank of memories of my life, basically. And you just don't get that with stream, you know, streaming and downloading. You know, it has its it has its place. But. I always consider it a bit like uh, coffee. I mean, I, I will drink instant coffee and I'll drink proper coffee out of a cafetiere. They're both fine, but if I'm given the choice, I'd always rather have proper coffee just as I'd always rather listen to a vinyl record, even though I will listen to Spotify, you know, and I will stream things as well.
0: We'll be back in a moment after this brief commercial break.
1: Our episode today is brought to you by Boombox. Are you looking for new ways to discover new music? Boombox is an app that turns sharing music with friends into a fun game. In each round of the game, players submit a song that matches a theme, like best song to dance to or best song I've heard this year. You then vote on who had the best picks. Boombox used to be played with just small friend groups, but recently introduced a new version where you can play in public games. Matt, we've been playing in a few of these games. How are you doing so far?
0: The public games are definitely harder because you don't know the tastes of your fellow players as well. But it's really expanding my music discovery to new tunes I wouldn't have otherwise found. The game's super fun to play and it automatically produces a Spotify playlist each round. To find out more, visit boomboxsoftware.com or download the app from the Apple or Google stores. And we're back. So I, I'd like to also get your take then, Graham, on, you know, that that's vinyl versus maybe the streaming experience. But what about vinyl versus just the CD experience? In 2020, I think, was the first time that vinyl has sort of now, you know, captured the lead on CD, at least using, we're using USA numbers. I'm sure it's similar across the pond. Uh, annual revenues for records has eclipsed CD, revenues for the first time in 34 years so why do you think it's vinyl is coming back and not cd which is a more convenient format it's a little bit smaller form factor what is it about do you think vinyl versus cd that has made vinyl have this huge resurgence as far as the physical format comeback goes
2: well we did we did point on the fact uh pip pointed out that the vinyl is fashionable at the moment. I mean, it, it is incredibly fashionable. And Pip mentioned adverts and that uh, in the UK and in the book I documented how many TV adverts in the UK had featured vinyl or a record player in the background. Um, and at the time of writing the book it was about 28. It's now past 40. I'm that sort of sad person who actually watches the TV and, <laughs> and in the same time you have never seen a CD in there. And, you know, I mean, beards are fashionable, aren't they? You know, everyone's got a beard, tattoos are fashionable. You know, Times will move on, but I'm sure vinyl will remain a lot more popular uh, than, than tattoos and beards in, in ten or fifteen years' time. I think it, it's the experience of a vinyl record. You know, you have to make an, a bit of an effort to 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 actually play it. You know, so you get out of it what you put in. I mean, I always think um, my day job is that I'm a sales rep for a record company, and I drive around. Well, before COVID, I would drive around the UK visiting 15 to 25 record shops a week. And so I'd listen to a lot of music while I'm driving around. But when I listen to the CD, because I'd have to have a CD player in the car, I would just throw the CD on the uh, seat or I'd throw it into the glove compartment when I've finished with it. And when I get home and listen to a vinyl record, I don't throw it across the room like a Frisbee when I've (laughs) finished with it. I actually, you know, put it back in its place, look after it and make sure I don't get any fingerprints on it.
0: Yeah. Excellent.
3: It's, it's an artifact. You know, I think that comes across in both in both films. I think you can't get away from that. I think people are longing for something. I mean, it's just really fascinating. I spent my morning uh, grading documentaries by young filmmakers <laughs> from a university. Just, this is my sado bit, you know, in those documentaries, several of them reference vinyl and record players, you know, Um, one actually made a film about vinyl but several of them just had them because they were just you know they were they were part of the narrative they were trying to say about a particular person or in the room or they were just there was something cool that they wanted to have within the kind of the you know the the kind of film itself so it is it it's just out there and um i think it's it's like i said before i think there's just something about it i i mean absolutely like graham says it's not an either or You, you know you can stream you can download there's massive amounts of prose to all the different formats that we can use. But the other thing I think that's really important to say is I think it gives something really important. One of the things I love doing in the vinyl revival is, you you know, that we followed the band Cassia, you know, we went and saw them finishing off recording their first ever album. And, uh, and then, you know, knowing that it was going to go out on physical format and we see them right at the end of the film, you know, going into a record shop and going and seeing their, their album. And it gave me a real flashback to, to Paul Weller in Last Shop Standing, where he, he talks about how, even though you know music formats have moved on, he still makes an album with a very analogue sort of uh, frame within his mind. He, he sees it as an album with track one all the way through, with a side A, with a side B, that it's an experience. It's the whole thing. This is what the artist has created, not just one song, that you can just pick and choose out of a bunch of streams and mix it up with a bunch of other things. But here's a whole album Mm -hmm. that they might come with artwork. It might come with all sorts of additional things that go with it, that just give this piece of art to the consumer, which is so different to anything
1: else.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. I think, I think maybe that's what she was talking about with the full meal, right? You're getting the experience um, and not just a a random playlist of a bunch of different songs, but the, the body of work, how they wanted you to hear it with the artwork, with the lyrics, everything. So I was, I was looking at a, a list of, um, the top selling vinyl albums. This is us again, this data for 2020. And I thought it was an interesting cross-section of music. So I'm just going to list, uh, list them off. Number 10 was Tyler, Tyler, the creator. So hip hop, uh, number nine, Frank Sinatra. So we're bouncing back and forth between new and old, then Billy Eilish, then Harry styles. Then number six Fleetwood Mac, number five Bob Marley Legend, number four Michael Jackson Thriller, number three Fleet uh, Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon, number two Abbey Road Beatles, and number one was Harry Styles. And so you've got this very you know uh, mix of of old old and new. Um, you know when when you did your your you know when you wrote the book and the movies, um, what was your what's your take on the typical profile of a vinyl? Listener.
2: Well, that, that's a great question, Mike. And I, I suppose I'll try and answer that by first saying that three years ago, one of the most exciting moments of my life was when my son, who was 27, and my dad, who was 83, both asked for a record player for Christmas. So, <laughs> the same that, year. <laughs> yes. So awesome. that just goes to show how it goes right across um, the spectrum that every, you know, everybody's sort of buy and buy. On. The problem with the sort of heritage acts is that is that the product like the Fleetwood Max and your Queen, and your Beatles, the majority of of those sales are in the big chainsaws and and supermarkets. And if you go into any independent record shop, hardly any of those titles will be in their bestsellers because the major record companies will will press in bulk and offer out in bulk to to the likes of the supermarket. So they'll be doing it at a price that that's difficult for independent record shops to compete. And I know many independent record shops who who probably wouldn't even stock you uh, know hardly any of those records that are actually in the top 20 best sellers. Um, because you know they're into promoting new acts and uh, up and coming stuff
3: and local local product. And that's what they have to do really. Mm. I agree. I, I think also though that it's 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 a rediscovery. It's new generations of people. They they you know they're getting into a format and now they want to get stuff you know in a different way. But what's what's interesting as well, and I think this is something that's really great for independent record shops. Is there's a really really vibrant second hand market. You know, there's always been that kind of crate digging kind of culture that's around. But for a lot of young people who can't afford twenty pounds for for an album, you know, they can go and look for Bob Marley legend and get it for three or four pounds, you know, or a few bucks, you know, um, by going and doing some crate digging and try and find something that's, that's in reasonable quality. So there is a, there's that kind of part of the market that's going on as well. But I think the mixture of the new artists and the, and the, the heritage artists, uh, being there is very much part of, and to some degree, you know, I'm, I'm put my hands up, <laughs> I went out and rebought some of those amazing heritage albums myself because I'd lost them, you know, and I I wanted them. I mean, I did buy them from independent record stores, not from supermarkets, it has to be said. But, you know, but I wanted them in a really good quality version of that album. I wanted the 180 gram. I wanted the special edition. I wanted something that, you know, was worthy of exactly what Graham was saying. You know, when I go and play it, I lift it out. I look at it. There's a certain moment of awe, you know, and then kind of going through the whole ritual of it. So I think there's a number of different things going on there.
0: Yeah, another sort of side benefit of the of the crate digging too is the just the serendipity that you don't get necessarily from your streaming service, right? You stumble upon so many great possible titles. So uh, looking forward, uh, how long do you think this trend goes on for? I mean, are we in for the long haul? Is vinyl uh, you know all the way back? Uh, is it gonna? Is it here to stay? How much more growth do you think there is in the vinyl revival?
2: Well, at, at the moment in, in in the UK, Matt, we're we're still getting about two records, two new record shops a week opening, which is which is fantastic. I find it incredible that we've got around fifty more record shops than back in two thousand and nine. You know, the so so the growth is still there. the The, the danger is is that the record companies themselves will will kill the goose that's laying the golden eggs just by price. You know, uh, you know here in the UK, you know, Warner have announced quite a big price rise for vinyl and, and other companies seem to be following suit. So there is a danger that, you know, long-term, you, you can push the price price too high. Um, for me, you know, I'd still be confident of anyone opening a record shop can make a living in the UK. Yeah, they won't be going on holiday to Barbados you know they'll be able to make a living at the moment so i can see it sort of flattening out over the next two or three years but so many people now have invested in vinyl as fans and as musicians you have to think that so many bands themselves love vinyl i mean yeah i work for a distributor we're getting a lot of artists just putting limited edition vinyl out and you know making it available as a digital download and, and not even bothering you know with the cd so you know I, th- I think the fact that musicians love it the public love it and so many people are now collecting again and, and that's what records saw they did it got people collecting records again because you were getting limited quantities of unique items you know if there's only a thousand pressed and you've got one of those copies that you know that, that's fantastic so so I, th- I think the futures fine for the next few years
3: hmm. yeah I'll,
2: I'll- no, no plans for another book or film yeah <laughs> <laughs> No,
3: <laughs> go ahead, Pip. Now I was going to say I, I I totally agree, but I think it came up. I think what has happened, if you if you look at record shops and you look at the growth of vinyl within the context of everything we've been talking about, the people who are out there running the record shops have to be entrepreneurial. You know, they they have to think about what can they do within their space. You know, many of them are having you know bands come and play. They they might be you know have a small cafe you know, they might diversify in other ways, but, you know, and lo- that's what lots and lots of independent shops are doing as well. And I think we're going to, you know, that needs to be encouraged, you know, in this country. I don't know what it's like in the US, but we need to do more to, you know, enable people to have lower rates, to have lower rents. You know, we need to bring independent stores back into our communities and we need to support that. So I think there's a whole bunch of different things that need to go on, but I, I definitely think that as a format, vinyl is 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 pretty pretty secure, really you know and um i think i think what we need to definitely be doing though is investing in in wind up uh, record players because i think when the, <laughs> big,
1: the big solar flare comes you know i want to still be able to play my <laughs> record still be able to listen that's great <laughs> so we like to close by asking all of our guests for a music recommendation maybe pip do you want to go first do you have something that you've been listening to lately that you're uh, you want to share
3: well, I, I have a very, very wide eclectic taste, but a band that I came across that I absolutely love, and uh, I do have a number of their albums, um, and I, I I filmed with them uh, on another project. It's the Idols, a fantastic Bristol-based, oh yeah, I like the Idols, yeah, they're, they're a kind of punk band, and uh, I love their philosophy. I love where they're coming from. They are, you know, just a really fantastic bunch of guys, and really,
1: they have some good music videos music. too.
3: Yeah, great music videos, great music, fantastic live. If you ever get a chance to see them live, please, you know, that's that's hope that's really going to come back, you know, stronger and stronger. That's great, Graham.
0: Uh yeah, I'm,
2: well, I'm very, very enthusiastic about um a female singer. A couple a couple of years ago, I mean, I'm I say I work for a record company, so my job is distribution. and and we picked up distribution on a debut album by by this girl, and we 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 got a message to say that she'd be really keen to play record shops to promote it. So uh, we started lining up record shops for her to play and she was quite happy to do two record shops a day. So her work ethic was incredible. And I, I went to quite a few of these and she was the most remarkable performer that I'd seen in donkey's years. And so her name was Jade bird and um, her debut album came in, through her own hard work really uh, at number 10 in the uk chart and she's toured you know the usa and that now with artists like hosier and she's got a new album coming out on august the 13th called a different kind of lights so i'm really enthusiastic about hopefully uh, seeing her in concert again when you know gigs gigs you know, start properly here i'm yeah, yeah, looking yeah, forward exactly. to the album coming out
1: that's great well those are two great picks um you know if listeners want to uh, follow your your work what's the best what's the best place online to find uh, to find you guys
3: uh, probably the last shop standing has a fairly vibrant Facebook page um, and the vinyl revival uh, does have a, a web page as well and um, the
1: that's great. Well, we'll add some links in the in the show notes for anybody who wants, uh, wants to find those. So Graham and Pip, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a great conversation. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Beat Seeker with your hosts, Matt McButter and Mike Wider. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a rating and a comment and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to dig deeper into this content, visit BeatSeeker.fm. That's B-E-A-T-Seeker.fm. And if you want to be part of the show, check out our Patreon link. Interact with us on social media at BeatSeekerPod. BeatSeeker is recorded in the Devil Lake Studios and the Tunnel Under Arundel. The show is produced by Matt McButter, Mike Wider, and Kate McCartney. Tim Ratledge is our editor. Thanks for tuning in and keep seeking.